There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome back to Misconduct. I'm Eileen, and joining me as always is Colleen. How are you doing, Colleen? I am good. Um, you may know, notice that my voice is a little bit scratchy, but I'm here. I have hot tea and cough drops, <laughs> so uh, we're going to make go. it work. Yeah, we're going to make it work. Um, we've had some rain here in the last week or so, and it's made my commute terrible. Uh, like I needed another reason to complain about Bart, or like Bart <laughs> needed another reason to break down. Oh, yeah. Uh, but I think it's going to keep raining next week, so I'll probably have more complaints. Uh, how are you? <laughs> you know, it's so funny. Uh, my friend Ross, you know, he, he comes and does work for me. You met him when he was working here. But uh, you and him always have the funniest BART stories. And I think the last time you had a BART story, he literally texted me that day. It's like around the same exact time having another crazy, you know, person <laughs> being on the BART doing something weird story, um, which is normal I... here. Yeah, I've been taking public transportation for a long time, so I feel like I've seen everything. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. I remember when you first moved here, and I think you <laughs> saw some spectacular things, and we're like, well, welcome to San Francisco. It's just turned up a little bit here, turned up a notch here, that's all. Yeah, exactly. So anyways, but uh, yeah, I'm good. I'm just taking advantage of the long weekend, getting some podcast work done and working on Unearthly. Um, Monday, I will actually be out on my motorcycle. So I'm excited about that uh, with my friend Gary. He's got a new bike, so we got to go, you know, stretch our legs. That sounds like so much fun. Um, I You haven't been riding in a while, have you? Yeah, I mostly just do a lot of, you know, I, I, I actually, it's funny enough, I ride my bike quite a bit mostly doing errands, um, running to the bank. Oh, like or, a good ride. like a Right. Haven't yeah. been in a while. Yeah, it's been a while for like a good, nice, like just taking some twisty back roads. Yeah, none of that. It's all been like commuting to clients or to the bank or stuff like that. So yeah, I'm excited to actually get out. That sounds like fun. Uh, but let's get into this week's episode. In mid-August 2000, an eight-year-old girl came running into traffic. She flagged down a car and quite literally jumped through the window. She said she had been kidnapped two days earlier, and hours later, the man responsible was apprehended. After his arrest, the man started talking, and soon the talking turned to confessions for not one but eight kidnappings and murders. Two of the murders the man confessed to were two high-profile kidnappings from the Bay Area and had not been solved, and one was over 10 years old. With a list of confessions and very little evidence to go on, investigators got to work trying to cooperate this man's story. Did law enforcement accidentally stumble upon an active serial killer? Or was this the work of someone who confessed to crimes he didn't commit to torture families of missing persons? This week, we will discuss the circumstances around the arrest and subsequent investigations. On an August afternoon in 2000, eight-year-old Midzi Sanchez was walking home from Highland Elementary School in Vallejo, California. 
She was excited about her upcoming birthday party that weekend, and her whole family was planning on attending the birthday bash. And it was all Midzi could talk about all week. Midzi was a bright and outgoing girl, and she was popular at school. An estimated 100 friends and family members were planning on attending her party that weekend. She was a block or so ahead of her brother when she saw a man sitting in a car watching her. Knowing she was alone and getting a weird vibe from the man in the car, she decided to cross the street. It was then that the man got out of his car and asked Midzi to help him with something, so she went over and he asked her to grab something off the floor of the car. As soon as she reached in, he grabbed her and shoved her into the car and drove off. He drove her to a parking lot where he made her change into different clothes that he already had with him. Then he pulled out a bottle of alcohol and made her drink it. He chained Midzi to the seat of the car and drove around the Bay Area for two days. It was during this time that he sexually abused her. The man hid Midzi under towels and blankets so no one would see her, and he kept her compliant with alcohol but deprived her of food. He told her if she tried to escape that he would kill her and her family. Meanwhile, a manhunt was underway to try to locate Midzi. The man would watch the news and see Mitzi's mother crying on TV, asking for her child to be returned. Their family house became the main meeting point for searchers and media outlets. Mitzi remembers what her mother told her to do if she ever found herself kidnapped. Do everything you can to escape. Recently, another girl around Mitzi's age named Ziana Fairchild had gone missing in Vallejo and parents were taking extra precautions with their children. The second day she was being held hostage in the car, she saw a chance and she took it. Until this point, Midzi had been trying to pick the lock with what she could find in the car, but the man left the car and forgot to take the keys with him. She quickly grabbed the key ring and tried them all until she found the right one. She unlocked her shackle and ran. The man who was near the car yelled for her to come back, but she just kept running and screaming. A passing truck slowed down enough for her to throw herself through the window. The truck driver took down the license plate number of the car Mitzi was locked in as it drove off and reported it to the police. Can we discuss just what, like, a smart, badass little girl she was? She literally outsmarted a grown man while under just this, like, crazy, unimaginable stress of being kidnapped by a stranger. I know. I mean, seriously, I, I don't know adults that could have done I don't. I sure as hell, I don't think I could have done that and have that wherewithal. It's, she's just an amazing person. I, I know, just... God. Yeah, like the ability to be like focused and like think on your see feet an opportunity. After, yeah, exactly. Yeah, after trauma like that too and everything. I mean, God, she's eight. Like, yeah. That night, the Vallejo Police Department got to make a phone call to Midzi's family to tell them that she was found alive and being checked out at a local hospital. Midzi arrived back to her family's house to fanfare. Her entire family and friends and well-wishers and media were outside of her house ready to welcome her home. The crowd sang her happy birthday as she was escorted inside, and the family spent the rest of the night feeding everyone outside from the two barbecues they had going on the driveway. Midzi went on to grow up and become a mother herself. She's given multiple interviews since her escape where she describes the journey she's had since her abduction. After a rough period in the years following, she had a bit of a come-to-Jesus meeting, so to speak. She was a passenger in a drunk driving accident when she was a teenager and she nearly died. And she said it was at this moment that her life changed and she now raises her child and advocates for families with missing children. And again, what just, you know, an amazing girl, she took these, you know, terrible hands she'd been dealt and 
she turned it into a positive situation for herself. I know. She's amazing. And it kind of reminds she kind of reminds me of Kara Robinson from the Richard Avonitz case we covered. Yeah. Just, you know, these young girls who escaped these captors and beat seemingly like unbeatable odds and then grew up, you know, to do amazing things and be amazing women. I just mm-hmm. awesome. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. It was a joyous party to mark the ending to a harrowing tale. Mitzi was given the best outcome of a potentially tragic situation. She was safe at home, ready to close this chapter. But Mitzi's rescue was just the beginning, or maybe beginning of the end for a man named Curtis Dean Anderson. 39-year-old Curtis Dean Anderson was on the run for just a couple of hours after Mitzi escaped before he was arrested by law enforcement. Anderson was well known to law enforcement and had an extensive criminal history. Between the late 70s and 1991, Anderson was arrested over 10 times for various offenses ranging from drug charges to theft. In 1991, Anderson was convicted on false imprisonment and car theft charges when he kidnapped a woman and forced her to drive him to Oregon. He received an 80-month sentence. He was released early and then imprisoned again a half a dozen more times up until 1999 on various parole violations. At the time of his arrest in August of 2000, he had lost his job as a cab driver and was living in San Jose, which is about an hour south of Vallejo. He was booked and eventually convicted of multiple charges that landed him a 251-year prison sentence for Mitzi's kidnapping. While serving what would end up amounting to a life sentence, he made various claims to reporters and law enforcement about his role in the kidnappings of other missing children in the Bay Area. It was shortly after his arrest in Mitzi's kidnapping case that he first claimed responsibility for the kidnapping of a seven-year-old named Ziana Fairchild. We mentioned Ziana earlier because Ziana was also from Vallejo, and it was her suspected kidnapping that caused Midzi's parents to give their children that extra talking to on what to do if somebody tried to kidnap them. Ziana was reported missing eight months prior on December 9th, 1999, 
when she never made it to her elementary school. Her mother's roommate said that he dropped her off that morning and that she was supposed to come home, but when she didn't make it back at her normal time, her mother called the police. Theana was born while her mother was serving a sentence in prison for auto theft. She was raised by her great aunt for the first years of her life, and then six months before her kidnapping, her mother was given custody. Her family was not happy with the move. Reportedly, her mother was not equipped to handle raising Ziana on her own. Through the research, we found a story written by a neighbor of Ziana's who became familiar with the child when they lived in the same complex. It's very moving and it paints a very vivid and tragic picture. So we'll link it on our website if you want to check it out a little bit more. It gives you more of an insight into Ziana and her life at that apartment complex. Two days after his arrest, Anderson bragged to law enforcement how he was the one that kidnapped Ziana and no one had been able to find her. Because Anderson had made several claims regarding his responsibility in several missing persons cases, his admission was seen as more of a potential attempt at getting a lighter sentence for Mitzi's kidnapping than something to be taken as truth. Either way, the police did do their due diligence and launched an investigation into each of the claims. Law enforcement found during their investigation that Anderson made similar allegations about Ziana's kidnapping to another inmate. This inmate provided a written statement of what Anderson said and indicated that he came forward with this information before, and it was before the news of Anderson's potential involvement hit the news. It was also discovered that Anderson told his brother that he kidnapped Ziana in the summer of 2000 before he abducted Midsey. His brother said that he didn't take the claim seriously because Anderson was always making things up. Anderson had two versions of his kidnapping of Ziana. He told some that he kidnapped her and held her for two weeks before giving her to someone else. His other version was that he kidnapped her, held her for a time, and then murdered her. He even sent the police on an unsuccessful search for her remains. When police started to get close to a confession, Anderson would feign forgetfulness and claim he didn't remember if he was responsible for her disappearance at all and just would refuse to talk. And worst of all, Anderson made claims that he could prove he wasn't making up his involvement with Ziana's kidnapping. He claimed that he had a videotape of himself assaulting Ziana while he murdered her and then beheaded her. Anderson, if you couldn't already tell, was a real piece of shit who seemed to enjoy toying with law enforcement and the victim's families. It was reported that he had Ziana's great-aunt, who raised her on the hook, trying to extort money from her in exchange for information, knowing that she was desperate to bring Ziana home. I hate him. I don't like him at all. He's just an evil piece of shit. I, I just don't really have much more to say. It's just terrible. I just, yeah, it's disgusting. I, it is. Ugh. I Like, researching yeah. this whole case, I was just, like, in a terrible mood the entire yeah, time. It's just, I, ugh. Imagine. Her family finally got closure in January of 2001. Fourteen months after her disappearance, a skull was found in the Santa Cruz Mountains near San Jose where Anderson had been living prior to his arrest. And to highlight what a real piece of garbage this dude is, the skull was located on January 19th, and as of January 27th, Ziana's great-aunt said she was still receiving correspondence from Anderson, stating that he kidnapped Ziana, but she might still be alive. <sighs> Anderson was charged with her death in May of 2004 after investigators placed him in Vallejo at the time of her disappearance, 
and he had also visited her apartment complex. Furthermore, several witnesses say they saw a girl matching Ziana's description with Anderson in his car. Finally, it was reported that Anderson might have been familiar with Ziana's mother or roommate, so Ziana may not have been scared of Anderson and initially maybe gone with him willingly. So it might have been less of a stranger abduction than like he, she was familiar with him. In December 2015, Anderson pled guilty to the kidnapping, molestation, and murder of Ziana Fairchild. He was sentenced to 50 years to life on top of his 250-year prison sentence. Ziana's family was happy that he admitted his guilt, but many were pushing for a harsher sentence. However, the death penalty was off the table. Prosecutors cited not wanting to put Mitzi, who was 13 years old at this point, through an extensive trial process. And in addition to all that, Anderson was sick and not expecting to live through the appellate process that comes along with pursuing a death penalty. On November 28, 2007, Anderson was moved from Corcoran State Prison to a hospital in Bakersfield. Two weeks later, on December 11, 2007, 46-year-old Curtis Dean Anderson was dead. A month before his hospitalization, he made one more confession to law enforcement. He had been sick for several years, so maybe he knew he was just running out of time to either get something off his chest or to torment one last family. Whatever the reason, in early November 2007, Anderson signed a confession taking responsibility for the kidnapping and murder of Amber Schwartz Garcia in 1988. This episode is also brought to you by Pitney Bowes. Eileen, did you know that effective January 21st, the USPS mailing and shipping costs will rise three cents? Again? Yes, but you'll save three cents per letter with the Pitney Bowes solution they're offering misconduct listeners. And these discounts are not available at the post office. Pitney Bowes is the industry leader in mailing and shipping solutions. No matter what you send or how often, Pitney Bowes has the best solution that precisely fits your needs. Way, print, mail, and save. You and your business will save time and money when you print postage, and you won't need to wait in line at the post office anymore. You also won't need to worry about putting the correct amount of postage on your letter or package. And I love Pitney Bowes. I have used them when I worked at offices, and they were always great with an easy-to-use interface, and I use them now for shipping out our podcast-related mail as well as, you know, my personal business-related items, and they are awesome. You can beat the upcoming postage increase with Pitney Bowes. Whether you're sending a letter or a package, you'll be paying less and saving money if you're using a Pitney Bowes sending solution. Plans start at just $5 per month. And for our listeners, Pitney Bowes is offering a free trial so you're sure to find the solution that's right for you. Visit pb.com misconduct to learn more and try it free. Terms apply, so see the website for details. That's pb.com forward slash misconduct. And we thank Pitney Bowes for sponsoring the podcast. And remember, when you support our sponsors, you help make this podcast possible. In the late 1980s, the Bay Area saw three high-profile missing persons cases in the span of seven months. These disappearances threw the Bay Area into a frenzy. They were high-profile and they were children and they remained unsolved. The first disappearance was Amber, who went missing on June 3rd, 1988. And we'll actually come back to the details of her disappearance. The second disappearance was five months later. Nine-year-old Michaela Goresh was abducted in November 1988. 
And if you recognize that name from a previous episode, we did touch on her disappearance in episode 26, where we covered the murderous duo known as the Speed Freak Killers. On November 19, 1988, nine-year-old Michaela Garrich was on Thanksgiving break from school. That Saturday morning, she had a friend over and the two asked to be allowed to go to the store to buy some candy. At first, her mom said no, but eventually conceded because the corner store was only about two blocks away. The two got on their scooters and rode over to the store. They left their scooters outside of the front entrance, and when they were done, they walked out of the store and started to walk home. Realizing they left their scooters, they turned back around and went to go get them. At the front of the store, they realized that one of the scooters had been taken. In a quick search of the surrounding area and parking lot, Michaela ended up finding her scooter leaned up against the door of a car. She walked the few feet to go get it, and as she picked it up by the handles, a man opened the car door and pulled her inside. Her friend screamed for help, and the store clerk called 911. The police were on the scene immediately, but there was no sign of the car or the girl. This past November was the 29th anniversary of her kidnapping, and despite a large suspect pool, Michaela has never been found, and her disappearance remains unsolved. The third disappearance was 13-year-old Eileen Beth Micheloff, who disappeared walking home from her middle school in Dublin, California, on January 30, 1989. She was last seen around 3 p.m. walking alone past a shopping center and has not been seen or heard from since. She is believed to have been kidnapped. Her usual route would take a shortcut behind a large department store and along a dry creek bed. After she was reported missing, her blue backpack turned up along the creek bed, after the area had already been searched. It is thought that the backpack was purposely placed there after her abduction. So, back to Amber. On the afternoon of June 3, 1988, she was playing in her front yard with her jump rope in Pinole, California, and Pinole is a small town north of Richmond. Amber was raised by her mother. Her father had been on the police force and was killed in the line of duty while her mother was pregnant with her. She was waiting for her neighbors to come home so she could play with them. In fact, it was the only reason her mom let her play outside by herself, because her friend was due to come over any minute. I can't imagine the fear that gripped Amber's mother when their neighbor let themselves into the house and asked where Amber was. Just five minutes ago, her mother had seen Amber jumping rope in the front yard. The search began immediately, but after 45 minutes with no sign of her, Amber's mother called the police. Bloodhounds tracked her scent from the front door, down the walkway, and to the right of her house where it stopped. It suggested that this means that she got into a car and the dogs could no longer track her. Within 12 hours, the search had expanded to volunteers on foot, four-wheelers, horses, and helicopters. There was one potential witness that may have seen Amber after her abduction, but it was never confirmed. A man had taken his child out for ice cream and then went to Alvarado Park, just a few minutes from Amber's house. He saw a man grab a blonde child by the back of her neck and throw her into his car. And at the time, he thought it was a father just excessively disciplining his child but it didn't sit well with him. When he saw the news of Amber's disappearance, he was bothered enough to call the police and report what he saw. This kind of reminds me of Midzi's account of what happened. She said that when Anderson kidnapped her, he took her to a nearby parking lot and made her change her clothes. If this sighting was Amber, he could have taken her to the park 
and made her change her clothes there. Despite the extensive search, after 4.15 p.m. on June 3, 1988, Amber was never heard from or seen again. When Anderson confessed in 2007, he also provided a motive. He claimed that he was driving through Pinal and saw Amber playing in her front yard. He got her to approach his car, and then when she was close enough, he forced her to get in. He said he kept her submissive with root beer schnapps while he drove to Arizona. He said he was going to visit his aunt, and he, quote, wanted some company. He said he strangled her in a hotel room in Tucson, Arizona, and buried her in the desert off of Highway 10. And again, I hate him. He is disgusting and gross. Yeah, I just don't even know what to say. This is an evil bastard. I mean... Seriously. Yeah. Horrible. It's sad. In the summer of 2009, the FBI announced that Amber's disappearance was solved. They said that the now two years deceased Anderson was responsible for Amber's disappearance and murder. After the announcement, the case was officially closed and no body or evidence beyond the confession has been discovered. So obviously people weren't satisfied with this. It's not that Anderson could not have been responsible, but the proof just wasn't there. Anderson provided a location where investigators could find Amber's body, but nothing was recovered. Anderson himself couldn't tie himself to the case without anything beyond his word. Amber's mother was reportedly never on board with her case being closed and believed that Anderson was confessing to various crimes to avoid the death penalty. In 2013, an online petition gathered over a thousand signatures asking the Pinole Police Department to reopen the case. In October of that year, the Pinole Police Department made the decision to reopen the case in order to try and locate Amber. Despite the case being opened and the search efforts being renewed, Amber has never been found. Amber was one of the only named victims Anderson confessed to before he died. The FBI compiled a list of more victims he confessed to, but he didn't name them. We'll go through them here in chronological order. They end with Ziana Fairchild and go as far back as 1984. In late 1984, Anderson said he met and killed a female in her late teens or early 20s. He described her as a runaway and said that he left her body near a popular swimming hole in Marysville, California. Several days later, he struck again. This time, he picked up a hitchhiker near Clear Lake, California. He killed and disposed of her on a rural stretch of road. Victim three was a teenager who he believed to be a runaway from Oregon. He met, killed, and left her body outside of Marysville in early 1985. Victim number four was a black female Anderson met in a bar in Oakland in November of 1986. He believed she was 21 years old. He claimed that he killed her and disposed of her body in the Oakland Hills. The fifth victim was Amber in June of 1988. And then the sixth victim was killed in late 1988. According to Anderson, she was a Native American woman from the Navajo Nation. He said he picked her up outside of a bar in Benicia, California. Anderson said he took her to Arizona and disposed of her along the 10 freeway similar to what he says he did with Amber. The seventh victim was a Latino woman in her early 20s who went by the name Rosie. According to Anderson, they met at a bar in San Jose in March 1997, where he was looking for drugs. She allegedly had track marks on her arms, and that's how they got to talking. 
He said he killed her and left her body near the Ben Lamont turnoff near Santa Cruz. And then the final victim Anderson confessed to was Yana Fairchild in December of 1999. Despite describing the murders, Anderson provided no additional identifying information on these claims that he's made. Bodies have not been recovered and their identities remain unknown. So I guess my first question would be, do you think that Curtis Dean Anderson actually killed all these people that he claims that he did? I've, I think it's hard to know. Part of me thinks he just like messing with families and law enforcement, but also, you know, maybe want to avoid the death penalty, but I don't know why after so much time when he was sick, confessed to all these, you know, all these women later. So I, I, I just feel like it's kind of hard to say. To me, it's just, it's interesting because Amber and Gianna have like names and cases that you could go look at the case history. They were high profile. So to me, it makes sense if he's trying to get like a deal or if he wants attention, it makes yeah. sense to confess to those crimes. Mm-hmm. I do think that he's responsible for Ziana's death. I don't know about Amber, um, but these unnamed people are, I don't know. Like I'm, I, I don't know if he confessed because he wanted to maybe kind of keep the lines of communication between the investigators and himself open or if he was just like, yeah, I did kill all these people and you're never going to know who they are, or where they are, you know? Yeah, yeah, because it was like a list of, yeah, like all these unnamed, you know, sad, but just all these unnamed women that he supposedly killed and, and dumped, you know? Just, I don't know. It's, it's, I find it really hard to say. And, but you think he kidnapped Amber for sure? I, I, um, no, well, I'm torn. So I do think he's responsible for Ziana. I, I think he definitely could have kidnapped Amber. Mm-hmm. And if the sighting of the blonde girl with the man in the park was actually Amber, it does fit what Anderson did with Midzi. You know, he took her to a second location, changed the clothes. Unfortunately, I don't know if there's any way to verify that sighting. And unless, you know, a body is discovered or some sort of like evidence, some solid evidence is discovered, I don't think that anything will change. It just will be unsolved. Yeah, I agree. And that wraps up our show for this week. So thank you for listening. But before we go, we do have some housekeeping. First off, we wanted to say thank you to some of our listeners who took the time to leave us a five-star review. Thank you to Podface1369, Retsy23, Kitty Mayhem, and Kate Queen of Sprouts for your reviews. Your reviews help us out a lot, and we really appreciate you taking the time to leave us the feedback. We also want to take a second to thank our most recent Patreon supporters. Thank you to Oki, Allison, and Charlie from the Insight Podcast for your Patreon support. Your support means the world to us, and we cannot thank you enough. So if you'd like to see our Patreon page, go to www.patreon.com slash misconductpodcast. And we have a podcast recommendation for you. This week's recommendation is The Whining About Crime. If you're looking for a new podcast to check out, Give Whining About Crime a listen. Stay tuned till the end to hear a word from their show. Do you want some misconduct merch? Guess what? We have our store set up. You can order t-shirts, mugs, hoodies, water bottles, magnets, and more. I use my misconduct water bottle every day. Um, I love it so much. Eileen designed it for me and sent it to me. (laughs) (laughs) Merry Christmas. Thank you. Our store is set up through Zazzle, and everything you purchase is made to order and drop ship directly to you. All commission earned on any purchases through our store go directly to the podcast, and it helps us keep the lights on and the research going. 
If you're interested, you can go to our website, www.misconductpodcast.com forward slash store, or you can go to zazzle.com forward slash misconduct pod. And remember to always use the discount codes on Zazzle. They always have them and you save tons. We also want to say a special thank you to our researcher, Esther, for helping us put this episode together. And that wraps us up for another episode of Misconduct. Thank you so much for joining us. If you have a second, head on over to our Facebook group to discuss this week's case. We love our group and we love being able to interact with you guys. So if you are not a member, join and one of our mods will add you ASAP. We love to hear your thoughts and opinions on these cases. Hop on over and let us know what you thought about this week's case. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at MisconductPod. And we wanted to give a huge shout out to the Blank Tapes for our intro and outro music. Be sure to check them out on Bandcamp to check out more of their stuff. If you have a case that you would like to see covered, drop us a line. Send it over to misconductpodcast at gmail.com and we'll see you next week. Hi, Misconduct fans. I hope you're enjoying the latest episode with Eileen and Colleen. I'm the crime whiner from Whining About Crime. While I do like to enjoy a glass of wine while researching true crime cases, I also like to whine about what I call the disconnect. The facts that make a case more convoluted than it seems on the surface. You can find me on iTunes, Stitcher, and anywhere else you listen to your podcasts. You'll know you've found me when you hear me say, please, don't leave me. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.